0: We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today.
1: Good morning. I'm glad you guys are here today. I am certainly excited to be here. And uh, I hope it's going to be a a great day. I hope hope the Lord speaks to you just as he he has with me as I have prepared this message this week. First off, I'd like to start by thanking uh, Pastor Matt Darby and Pastor Todd Connitz for the opportunity to get up here. These guys are gifted communicators, and I have learned quite a bit, and I'm just excited and fired up to be here today. So let's go ahead and get after it. Um, I have a question for you to start, and I want you to help me out here and raise your hand if you agree. Would you say... That identity is something that is important. Who thinks so? Me? Yep, that's right. I think it is, and it's interesting that in our society today, would you also say that it's something that's pretty subjective? Honestly, depending on who you talk to, and what time of the week it is, or what time of the day it is, in my life, their view of who you are is going to be a little bit different, right? Different people see us in different lights. You know, the as I began to think about this message this week. Um, I really came up with two kinds of identity. The first is our personal identity. And the dictionary definition of that is the fact of being who or what a person or thing is. So it's literally what you are or who you are. And like I said, depending on who you're talking to, that's going to change. Their view of you is going to change. I have uh, four children. Um, I have three sons and one daughter, three of my children are still in home, one is away at graduate school, and if you ask them who I am, they're going to tell you my name probably, your name. my name is Ben Lofton. They're also going to tell you that I'm their dad, and if I think about it long and hard enough, I'm a little bit terrified at what they might say, to be real honest with you, right? (laughs) If you talk to my wife, uh, she would tell you again, she would probably say my name, she would say that I am her husband. She would say that I am the father to her children, and almost definitely she would say that I am the human being that irritates her more than anybody else on earth. And I'm going to assume that's an identity that I share with some of the other husbands in the room here today, right, guys? If you ask my neighbors who I am, they're going to tell you a different story, so forth and so on. Depending on the context of the relationship, the view changes. You know, my wife, Stacy, she knows me better than anyone else of her Answers to the question of who I am are going to be far more accurate than anybody else's, right? The second type of identity that I came up with was group identity. This is where we identify ourselves as part of a larger group. We hear today, if you're a covenant member, then you might identify yourself as a member, as a part of New Beginnings Baptist Church, and that would be true. Um, I played sports growing up, Uh, basketball was my favorite, my three sons are athletic, they play sports as well, and I remember that one of my favorite things about playing sports was when I got to put on the uniform. I remember my sophomore year of high school, I got moved up to the varsity, uh, not because I was talented, just because they needed human bodies, I guess, to fill out the bench and look sharp, so they gave me a uniform, and I remember putting that uniform on, and I remember standing in the mirror at home looking at myself, going, man, I look great, this is good, I look really sharp, I'm going to dominate tonight. It, it validated my worth as a person, right? It, it made me feel important. Even though I wasn't. I wasn't great, right? But it made me feel good about who I was. You know, I got to play for the I went to high school as Flower Mound Marcus Marauders, so on the front it said Marauders really big, and man, that was awesome. I thought that was the greatest thing ever. My coach, however, he preached the importance of the name on the front of the jersey instead of the name on the back. I wanted this name to be important. He said this name was far more important than the other one. High school Ben wanted his affirmation of his talent and ability to be in wearing that uniform. My coach said that your goal here, you wear that jersey so that you can help this team win and achieve their purposes. Not to make me look good. You know, our identity as a Christian is much the same way. We play... If you'll allow me the analogy for Team Jesus. When we slide that jersey on, we should recognize that the name on the front of the jersey not only informs the one on the back, it is far more important. And ultimately, what it does is it gives us the purpose of our life. As believers looking to God for the answers of who we are, our identity, only makes sense because he created us. He knows us better than anybody else. Psalms 139.13 13 tells us that God knitted us together in our mother's wombs. In Jeremiah 1.5, Jeremiah tells God, Before I formed you, I knew you. Amen. God's word gives us all the answers we need to tell us what our identity is. And our prayer, my prayer for today is that during our time together, God will rightly position our group identity in order to give us our personal identity and then tell us what our distinct and God-honoring purpose is on earth. So if you'll grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 1 Peter, we're going to be in chapter 2. And while you're turning there, let me give you just a brief synopsis of this letter. Excuse me. The Apostle Peter in this is writing to a group of Christians that are spread throughout what was called Asia Minor. Excuse me. You might know that today, or it would be, if you were looking at a map, that would be modern-day Turkey. These were very poor Christians that were being persecuted for their faith. And in this letter, it is basically an exhortation of those people to endure uh, with faith, obedience, and holiness while suffering persecution. He even says in 1 Peter 1, 6, if in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. He's admitting that they are being persecuted, but they are to endure. He, re- he begins the letter by reminding them of the salvation that they had, and that they should rejoice even though they were enduring this persecution. He then reminds them that salvation calls them to live a life of holiness. As they look forward to the future imperishable, eternal reward that will be theirs in Christ Jesus. So we're going to read in 1 Peter 2. Four through 10 and this is what God's Word says as you come to him a living stone rejected by men but in the sight of God chosen and precious you yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ for it stands in Scripture behold I am laying in Zion a stone a cornerstone chosen and precious and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. Now, these next two verses is where we're going to land today. So I want you to pay attention for me on this one. But you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood and a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now, you have received mercy. So as I said, we're going to focus much of our time today on verses nine and 10 of First Peter, because what I believe is that in this letter, First Peter is going to tell these Christians that he's writing to and us about our right understanding of our identity as a Christ follower. These verses, I pray, they're going to reveal to us three truths. So there's three things we're going to take away from this. The first is whose we are. The second is who we are. And finally, we're going to answer the question of why we are here. These are vitally important questions for a believer to answer, and without understanding these correctly, we will never be able to rest secure in our identity and therefore fulfill our God-ordained purpose to expand his kingdom. So the first truth we're going to find today is whose we are. That's W-H-O-S-E. My mother uh, came into town this week. Uh, It's Thanksgiving, so she's in town, and she will be here later today, and the one thing I can tell you is that I belong to her. She is my mom. She carried me for nine months. She went through labor. She delivered me. She raised me. She clothed me. She fed me, which I can, pro- I, if you have teenage boys, you'll know this. I can promise you that was no easy task for many years. Right? She loved me. I am hers. I'm sure there are times when that's been a difficult reality for her. I'm sure there's others where that has been an easy thing to do. But nonetheless, She has done the work. She has paid the price. I belong to Sandra Lofton. There are two places in this passage of scripture that I see that Peter tells us who we as Christians belong to. The first place is in verse 9 where he says, a people for his own possession. Now his here is God. He's speaking of God. So it could be read a people for God's own possession. And then, which I think is important, he repeats this, which reinforces the earlier statement when he says, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Now, God's people was a title that was originally reserved for the people of Israel, right, the Hebrew people. These were God's chosen people in the Old Testament. And if we look in Exodus 6-7, God's working through Moses to deliver the Israelites from Egypt He says, I will take you to be my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. In Exodus 19, 5, Moses is on Mount Sinai and he says, now therefore, God says, excuse me, now therefore you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant and you shall be my treasured possessions. These statements in verses 9 and 10 tell us that God has chosen us to be his people. And this has always been the case. God's people have always belonged to him. They have always been his possession. Now, through Jesus, we have been extended this honor to belong to God's people. To be the designation extended beyond the nation of Israel to all who surrender their lives to Jesus as Lord. We are now part of that chosen race. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, it says, you are not your own, you are bought with a price. So when Peter tells us that we are God's possession, he tells us that God saved us, he rescued us, he purchased us for his sake. So when we accept the fact and surrender to Jesus as Lord, we're submitting to God's ownership of our lives. So we are now owned by Jesus when we accept the fact that God is our Lord. And that statement, that ownership, when we gladly submit to it, is defined foundationally by being God's people. Everything we are and do builds upwards from the foundation of being owned by God. You know, we rightly use the term Lord when we talk about God or about Jesus. We even saw in Exodus, when I say that, I mean capital L, Lord. And as I was studying this week, I found that this word was interesting. It really implies ownership when you use it in this context, right? It is best understood in the context of slave ownership and master." Now, when I say the word "slave, do not get confused. This word in the Bible does not connect to, or it cannot be best understood, as the American transatlantic slave trade. It is not a forced enslavement. That is sinful. This is probably better understood, and we can look uh, in the Bible to define it for us in 1 Corinthians 7:22 and 23. It says, for he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freed man of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. Once again, he says this, you were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. The word bondservant in the Greek, I looked it up, it's the word doulos. It literally translates to the word slave. But... Once again, we don't want to connect that word to something that it is not. So it's best understood as an indentured servitude. Most times in the Bible, what you would find is people that owed a debt to someone else would willingly submit themselves to ownership of that person until they could pay that debt. They were actually paid for the work they did while under the ownership of another But the key there is that they willingly submitted to this. And when we call Jesus our Lord, we are in glad submission to the fact that he has bought our freedom from sin and death, and we belong to him. There's another place in the Bible where this is used. Romans 6, 17 through 18 says, "...but thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed." and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. The word slave here is the same word, doulos, bondservant, indentured servitude. What both of these passages tell us, once again, is that we are all going to be a slave or a bondservant to something. So we are either a slave or a bondservant to our sin, or we are a slave or a bondservant to Jesus Christ as our Lord. And if you are a bondservant to Jesus Christ as your Lord, you are set free from ownership by anything in this world. You know... There's a man named Bill Bright. Some of you may know who he is. He was the president of the Christian Broadcasting Network, and he founded an organization called Campus Crusade for Christ. Campus Crusade for Christ worked on college campuses to mobilize uh, college students in order to advance the mission of God and his kingdom throughout the world. And I read a, a story from the Los Angeles Times this week where Bill Bright talked about he and his wife, when they were in seminary, uh, they were newly married, and uh, they wrote a contract, and they each signed it, in which they committed to, and these were his words, they pledged to be slaves to Christ. This was the idea that drove their life's work. This is what Campus Crusade for Christ was born out of. The understanding of whose they are had a massive impact on the world. As a matter of fact, they're the ones that created the Jesus film. It's used as an evangelism tool in other countries according to Campus Crusade's website, this film has been shown on every country on planet Earth. And they estimate that 7.7 billion people have been touched by the gospel because of this. They also estimate that 530 million people have made decisions for Christ based on the work that Campus Crusade for Christ has done. And think about that. 530 million people have moved from death to life because this man understood whose he was. He believed this so deeply that when he passed away, and I'm going to show you a picture of his headstone, when he passed away, he had an epitaph put on his headstone that said, a slave of Jesus by choice. He sold his life out to the idea of this is whose he was, and it led to this. This This is a right understanding of what it means to be a people for God's own possession. The statements in 1 Peter 2, 9, and 10 tell us whose we are, that we've been purchased by the blood of God's only son, Jesus Christ, and that we're his. We are his treasured possessions. But knowing it's not enough, if we know whose we are, that should lead us to something. And I believe that what it should lead us to do is rest. We should rest in the fact that we belong to the creator of the universe, that we are his people, right? That we're on team Jesus. When you belong to God, you put on the jersey, it says Jesus on the front, and this rest moves us from all the toil that exists in our life and moves us to a place of rest. Before God, you worked to find out whose you are. Now you know whose you are because you are told. So as we look at the next two truths, we find in the passages, we've got to remember that we have to know whose we are first. That informs everything else in our lives. We cannot get this out of order, guys. Once we will see that as God's redeemed people that we have an identity and therefore we have a purpose. Right? So now that we know whose we are, the next truth we're going to find in this passage is who you are. One of the, uh, one of the newer fads here recently, in the last few years anyway, is uh, the idea of home DNA testing kits. Right? Uh, places like 23andMe, you also have the... Uh, um, Home Ancestry, like Ancestry.com, where you can trace your lineage and do those things. Um, I think 23andMe, they send you a little swab, and you swab your cheek, and then you send it in. And they tell you all the 42 types of people that you're from, and where in the world, and all that good stuff. More and more, we're able to scientifically determine what our background is and where people come from. We talked about it earlier. We as a people have a fascination with who we are, right? We think it's important, our identity. So I did some research on stories of people who have done these tests. And one thing was common in all of them is when they received the test, they had a really good idea of who they were. The other thing that was also common is when they got the results back of the test, who they thought they were, a lot of times got changed. It became a different thing at that point. A matter of fact, the Washington Post article said this about this topic. It said DNA testing can also yield some uncomfortable surprises. Some testers looking for a little more information about grandparents' origins, or to confirm a family legend about a Native American heritage, may not be prepared for results that disrupt their sense of identity. Often that means finding out their dad is not actually their dad, or discovering a relative that they never knew existed, or perhaps a baby conceived out of wedlock or given up for adoption. So this, is inter- this, this part kind of landed on me. In 2014, 23andMe estimated that 7,000 of its users had discovered unexpected paternity or previously unknown siblings, 7,000 people went in thinking, this is who I am. And at the end of the test, they realized, I'm not that person, I'm this person. Imagine that shock. Imagine the feeling of, of everything being turned up, down because your identity is in all of these other things. The world around us tries to tell us who we are, guys. They try to give us our identity. But apart from Jesus Christ, I can promise you that is nothing but shifting sand. It can and it will change. We let the circumstances of our life define our identity, the who we are. The problem with that is that, like I said, it's always changing, okay? So we have to root ourselves in something that is far more stationary. If we look at 1 Peter 2, 9, it's going to tell us the who we are. It says, but you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, As crazy as it sounds, if you're in Christ, that's who you are. You're a chosen race. You're a holy nation. You're a royal priesthood. The believers that were reading this letter, remember, they were poor and they were persecuted. This would have been everything to them to hear that they were chosen, that they were royal That they were holy. This would have been greatly impactful. And honestly, for us, it should be the same thing. It should be no different. How many of you guys, by show of hands, when you came to church today, thought you were going to be told that you were a priest? Ah, right. Nobody. Good. That's exactly right. Nobody knew that I was going to call you a priest. But there it is, right there in God's Word. That's exactly what you are. The front of the jersey says Jesus. The back of your jersey says chosen. It says holy It says royal. Peter's using language here that reminds the hearers that this is not some new identity. This is a restoration of the identity of God's people from the earliest of times. In Genesis 12, we see God call Abram, and he said in verses 1 and 2, "...now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation." In Exodus 19, we see Moses on Mount Sinai again. In verse 6, he says, And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. This has always been God's intention, that his people would be a nation of priests, not a nation with priests. But God's people couldn't hold up their end of the covenant, so what you find is that they broke it, so the Lord stripped them of the honor of direct access to him, and he bestowed it on the tribe of Levi. He said it was the most faithful. So what you have is you have Levite priests that now have the job and the calling of direct access to God and interceding for God's people on their behalf. No one else had access like this. We even read in scripture a lot of places where it says that kings attempted to do what was set aside for the priests. And if you haven't read that, I'm just going to summarize it for you. It didn't go well for the kings. First Peter we read, and what we find for us is that Jesus changed all of that. Christ's sacrifice not only gave us the opportunity, if we place our faith in Jesus Christ, to become one of God's people, but it also defined who we are. It restored the original intention for God's people, and if we are in Christ, then we are identified by God as part of his holy nation, as part of his royal priesthood. Did you know that the definition of a priest is a person who serves God and has right of access to him. If you look just back up from the verses that we're in, in verse 5 of chapter 2, you see that it says, you yourselves are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus is our high priest. We have Right of access to God through Jesus. I want you to think about that for just a second. Each and every one of you, if you're in Jesus, you have the right of access to the creator of the universe. This is our identity, church. And if you hear me say nothing today, I need you to hear me say this, church. If you're in here today, adults, your job, it is not your identity. Your bank account, your 401k, not your identity. Your children, their achievements, your spouse, your friends, your house, none of those things are your identity. Students, if you're in the room, let me tell you, your grades, not your identity. Your athletic achievement is not your identity. How many friends you have does not tell you who you are. Our identity is found in the foot of at the foot of the cross of Jesus Christ and nowhere else. That is who we are. And if you know whose you are, we talked about that you rest. But if we now know who we are, then that leads us to do something else, and I believe that is rejoice. We will have a right understanding of our identity in Jesus. It should bring us to a point of worship, of rejoicing that who we are, Excuse me, of rejoicing that we are who Jesus tells us we are, not anything else, not what the world tells us, not what you think. None of that matters. You are who Jesus tells you you are. And that moves us away from, I believe, hopelessness. When we don't know who we are, we reside with hopelessness. And when we find out who we are, we move to rejoice because we now know something that we did not. The last truth that we're going to talk about here is really the action. It's directly informed by everything I've talked to you about this morning. Whose we are tells us who we are. And it's those truths that give us a purpose. So, what we're gonna find now is we're gonna we're gonna talk about the question of why we are here. Being God's people and understanding our identity to be a chosen race and a holy nation commands an action. And in 1 Peter 2, chapter 9, I believe Peter very clearly provides us with the answer to the question of why we are here. It says this, it says, we're going to read the whole thing again, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Here it comes, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. In verse 10 there, we see Peter talk about some of these excellencies that we're supposed to to proclaim. It's got a lot of P's in that sentence right there. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. This is excellent news, right? Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The fact that we know who we belong to, And that belonging comes with and by the mercy of God should mean that we are not able to stop ourselves from proclaiming that truth to anyone and everyone that we meet. The mercy of God is that he provided his son Jesus to be the final and ultimate sacrifice for our sin so that we could be a part of God's people, so that we could be chosen holy and royal, and so that we have a purpose. I remember who I was when Jesus found me. I know all too well who I was. I have no doubt that I was then and am now in desperate, unending need of the mercy of God. And I found that mercy in the person and work of Jesus Christ. You know, I love the language that Peter uses here. Uh, The New Testament's not typically uh, overtaken with poetry, You know, we can look to the Psalms, we can look at Ecclesiastes, we can look at Song of Solomon. These are books of poetry. They have that emotive language, they make us, they stir up emotions in us. But I believe that what's happening here is Peter knows who he's writing to. These are poor, persecuted people. And he's been telling them about their identity in Christ, that Jesus has saved them, that he has rescued them, that they belong to him. And being caught up in the moment over what God has done and that we belong to him, he pens this piece of poetry that says... That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As I was doing my study this week, the word uh, marvelous in the Greek is the word, uh, the way you say it is thalmastos. And here's what that word means. Pertaining to that which causes or is worthy of amazement. Here's my favorite part. Moving the beholder to their deepest emotions. It should move you to the deepest emotional state you have. It should overwhelm us to the point that we have no other reaction but to proclaim who Jesus is and what he has done for us. This is why we are here. I I mentioned earlier that God saved us and redeemed us and he did so for his sake, but why did he do that? He did that so that we could proclaim his glory. In 2016, I was able to go on mission with New Beginnings Baptist Church to go to Africa. It was around this time that I was still sort of working through my call to ministry, but I knew that God wanted me to go on mission, so I decided to go to Africa. Before anyone goes on international mission trips, these come with uh, trainings. And for Africa, because it's a different language, obviously, you have a thing called an Evangelicube. How many of you people in here know what an Evangelicube is or have used one? There we go. That makes me feel good. So as I'm telling the guys you're talking about and sharing the gospel, they're opening up this advantage cube and it has pictures. African people are particularly visual in the way that they learn. So this is very helpful. They love this. So I remember we all got trained up and we flew over there on our first day. We're excited to go and I'm fired up, man. We're gonna go dominate for Jesus. It's gonna be a great day. And Rwanda's fairly mountainous. So we begun to walk up a mountain, basically, about two miles and we come to a village where a new church has begun to meet. This is a picture of the building that we went into in Rwanda. As you can see, it's got dirt, mud walls, basically like adobe. It's got a dirt floor. It's got a tin roof. It's probably one of the nicest structures in this village, but let me assure you, it doesn't have air conditioning. It's not terribly comfortable. It feels like it's 175 degrees inside that building. It's hot. We shove about 60 people in there, including our team. And as we're walking in, Pastor John Roach, who was with us on that trip, walks up to me and says, hey, dude, you're up. I said, yeah, well, up for for what? (laughs) He said, you're going to do, you're going to share the Evangel Cube. I went, yeah, yeah, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. Uh, I I don't feel comfortable with this. I really need to hear somebody else do it. I need to kind of get my rhythm here. You know, I'll do it later. It'll be okay. And I began to walk away, and I'll never forget John's response. He looked at me and he literally said, why are you here? Why'd you come on this trip? Do not regret not doing something that God has told you to do. Don't regret it, Ben. I don't know how many of you guys have experienced conviction, but that's what it sounds like when the Holy Spirit convicts you through one of your friends. I felt like, all right, I got to do it. So I walk up there and Pastor Ezekiel is standing beside me and I begin to deliver what can only be described as the worst gospel presentation in the history of mankind. (laughs) It was terrible. It was awful. As a matter of fact, if it weren't for the Holy Spirit, it could only be described as Jesus repellent. <laughs> it was horrific. I'm sweating profusely. I'm shaking. As a matter of fact, one of my friends was sitting behind me and he literally said, your leg was shaking so fast, I thought I was going to have to catch you when you pass out. <laughs> Notice he didn't say if you pass out. He said when. It was a certainty at that point. I was, I was in bad shape. We got done and we we're trained to deliver a, a call to response on that. And I thought, well, this seems like a bad idea, given how this has gone, but here we go. So I gave the call to response, and five women stood up and raised their hand, and one man stood up and raised his hand and said, we want our eternity forever changed by this Jesus that you speak of. I tell you this not to tell you that I am good at it, because as we just discussed, horrible, terrible. But my God is big, my God is mighty, and my God saves, and that's what he did there today. So if you are here today, believer, and if you've ever wondered what God's will is for your life, if you wondered why you are here, that story was to tell you this. You are here to proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You're here to proclaim the gospel. One of the most famous passages in the Bible is, Matthew 28, 18 through 20 is called the Great Commission. It says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The reason that you're part of God's people, that you've been given the identity of a royal Priesthood is so that you can proclaim God's excellencies, his grace, his mercy, his provision for us. It's so you can proclaim Romans 5, 8, that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And we proclaim this because we cannot not, guys. You can't know this truth and not proclaim it to those that are lost and dying. And when we do what we're here to do, God does what only he can, and that saves sinners. Sinners. Your job is to proclaim. Jesus' job is to save. And when he does that, then we're making disciples. Then we're baptizing. Then we're teaching. People's lives are never the same at that point. Pastor and author David Platt says that the church is God's chosen vehicle to display his glory on earth. Did you guys know that your plan A... The creator of the universe has chosen you to go out and proclaim his gospel. He could do it any way he wanted to. He's chosen you. So when we proclaim the goodness, the marvelous, awe-inspiring, wonderful, marvelous light of Jesus for our good and for his glory, this understanding should cause us to do one thing. It's what we've been talking about. It's to respond God has given a purpose to us as his followers. He has answered the question of why we're here. We are here to make Jesus famous, nothing else. How you do that and where you do that may change depending on who you are and what your gifting is, but the end result is still the same. We are here to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when we do and when we respond, you know what it does? It moves us away from aimlessness and to purposefulness in our life. I hope that's a word. We have purpose now. Before, we have no aim. We're all over the place. We're doing whatever makes us feel good. We're looking for that thing that defines who we are and why we're here. And when we are told by Jesus that we belong to him and that we're chosen and we're holy, well, that gives us an aim because then we know why we're here. Uh, These questions, the whose you are, who you are, and why you're here are very personal to me. Um, As I thought about this passage and what it meant and what I was going to preach on, the Lord reminded me that these are questions that I have used in my personal life. I told you about my my children, my babies. Uh, These are things that I use with them. So uh, I have uh, two younger sons. I have one that's away, and I have my daughter. She's here, and she's uh, about to graduate from high school. And one of the things that I want them to remember is oftentimes, not as much as I should, I ask them, whose are you? And they'll say, I belong to Jesus. That's right. You are a child of God redeemed for a purpose. I'll ask them, who are you? They'll say, I'm a Lofton. And you say, you got that right. You are my son. Everything you do, everything you say, everything you are going to do will reflect on me and on the God who has created you and you belong to. And finally, I ask them, why are you here? And if it's school, my little one Eli, he always says, Dad, I'm here to learn. And I say, yeah, you are, buddy. But you're here to learn so that you can grow into the man that God has made you to be. These things don't just terminate on themselves. They're moving us in a direction. We know whose we are so that we can know who we are so that we can know why we're here. But here's what I would tell you. That if you're here today and you don't know whose you are, You don't need to worry about the other two questions right now. You need to worry about whose you are. And today can be the day that you find that out. Today can be the day that you put on the jersey that says, Team Jesus, today can be that day. Do not come in here the same. Do not leave here the same as you came in here. If you don't know whose you are, please let the Lord speak to your heart today and surrender your life to him. If you do know whose you are, we need to talk about who you are because in many times especially in my life I know that I will get these questions out of order my priorities get crazy and I define who I am based on all the things that I just told you that you are not so maybe today if that's you you need to repent of the fact that you've gotten them out of order that you have identified yourself as something other than chosen royal and holy and you need to be reminded of whose you are so that you can know who you are And you can live your life in honor of that. And my prayer all week has been that as we talk through these things, that we would all be convicted of why we're here. That in a lost and dying world that's desperately in need of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would take the information of who's and who, and we would put it in action as why. So if you have not been participating in the why you're here, then today is the day that you can repent of that. Repent is a term that means stop and go the other direction, right? So we stop not doing what while we're here. We stop doing all the things that are not while we're here. And we start doing while we're here. That is the message for us today. That we would recognize these truths in order to take the gospel to a lost and dying world that is desperately in need of what we have. So I'm going to pray. And when I'm done, we're going to stand and we're going to worship. And if you need prayer, if you need Jesus, you come down here. Our pastor, our ministers, our wives, they will be down here with us. We would love to pray for you today. Let's pray. Father God, I am eternally grateful for who you are and what you've done. I'm thankful that you're a God who saves, and it is my great honor to know whose I am and who I am, Lord. And I pray that you would use me for why I'm here, and everyone in this room would remember that truth, and they would act to advance your kingdom through that. Father, if there's anyone in this room that's hurting, Lord, allow them to relieve that burden here. God, we trust in you. We love you. And we pray that you would continue to advance your kingdom as you see fit. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903 759 5552 or send us an email at info nbbctx.org as for staying up to date with what's going on at new beginnings follow us on our social media accounts have a great rest of your day